For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. As the letter to the Hebrews comes to a close, the writer is trying to dissuade his readers from returning to their old life by comparing it to what they have in Christ. And to him, it's a no-brainer. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Would You Rather? I was looking at some personality tests online. Personality tests are kind of fun. Uh, One style of the test asks you to choose one of two different scenarios. So would you rather A or would you rather B? And then from all your answers, they can kind of determine your disposition. Well, let's test your personalities and have a little fun. All right, so I've got five or six questions for you. Uh, Number one, now this is a thinker. Would you rather go into the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet your great-great-grandchildren? How many of you would like to meet your ancestors? How many would rather meet your great-great-grandchildren? All right, the great-great chance, the forward future-thinking people have it there. Number two, um, would you rather be able to talk with the animals or speak all foreign languages? Okay, communicating with critters. All right, speaking French and every other language. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I want to know what those animals are thinking. I have enough to deal with knowing what some of the people are thinking. Okay, number three. Would you feel worse if no one showed up to your wedding or to your funeral? Okay, wedding. Yeah, funeral. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Don't be sad. Okay, here's a good one. Would you rather take an action-packed European vacation or spend two weeks at a luxury resort in the Caribbean? All right, Europe and on the go or lying on the beach? (laughs) Yeah, you're my kind of people. All right, here's a funny one. Uh, Well, well, not so funny. Would you rather be stuck stuck high on a ski lift or in an elevator? Stuck on a ski lift. Thank you, Jesus. Stuck in an elevator. That's how much you hate heights. Yeah, well, one last one. Final one, would you rather babysit a crying infant for an entire day or have an unwanted house guest for three days? How many are going to take, take the 24 hours with the kid? <laughs> for the record of those who are only listening to the podcast, the entire congregation hates babies. <laughs> No, we, we're making a lot of babies. Are you kidding me? This church has more babies than... What's a good little idiom there? 
Carter's has pills. I was going to go for that, but it's so old. No one, no one knows what it means anymore. Anyway, we love children. Amen? Amen. It would just be difficult to spend an entire day with one who's crying. <laughs> All right, so, you know, there are other reasons why you, uh, you, you give someone a, an option to choose between two possibilities. You, it, it's to help them to do the right thing, to pick the smart and sensible scenario, especially if they're having a hard time. So, for example, we line up two scenarios side by side to make it a no-brainer, right? So, would you rather pick up all those toys or be on a long, lonely timeout? Here they are, you know, pick up the toys or suffer <laughs> by yourself in the corner. Or would you rather flunk out of school or get a new car for graduation? Do you know? Would you rather endure the unpleasant treatment or be dead in six months? Sometimes that's how they talk to you, you know. But they try to line it up right there. Okay, yes, it's unpleasant, but here's the other scenario. And, and the answer to those things are, well, if you put it that way, <laughs> right? Well, that's exactly what the pastor writing to the Hebrews is going to do. He wants them to say, well, if you put it that way, and what is it that he wants them to choose? They want to go back to being Jewish. They, are, they were Jews. They heard the gospel. They got saved, as we like to say. So now they're Hebrew Christians, but they're having a hard time. They're going through some tough stuff. Their families alienating them. They're marginalized. They've been persecuted under the Roman Empire. It's easier to be a Jew than a Christian. And so when they added Jesus to the mix, they also added a, another layer of troubles. And they were wanting to go back to where it was more comfortable to take the part in their life that was causing the problem, which was Jesus, to take that out Try to be a good person. Just go back and, and love people and do the right thing. Let's just, just take the Jesus part out. And he says to them, okay, I've got two options here uh, for you. Uh, would you rather go back to Judaism, to that fiery scene where the Ten Commandments come thundering down, or would you rather end up in heaven with this joyful, happy scene where Jesus, your Savior, welcomes you? Two choices to choose from here, lined side by side. Verse 18, we'll read those two uh, choices here. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. He's talking about heaven. Now he's going to compare it to heaven as invisible. So you're not coming to a mountain that could be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness gloom and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they couldn't bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that even Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. 
you have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so he's got two uh, scenarios for them to choose from. Uh, Essentially what he's saying is, would you really rather go back to Judaism without a Messiah? Would you really rather go back to the first covenant? Let me remind you about the giving of the law and Judaism, the birth of Judaism. Or would you rather be found in heaven kicking back with the angels and and loving the Lord and seeing God uh, in the form of Jesus Christ right there with a big smile on his face? Which do you want to choose? And then, so it it comes in, it it forms rather uh, three nice points for us this morning to look at. Uh, The first point would be scenario one, the gloomy place of condemnation which is dubbed Mount Sinai for where the law came, right? Or second scenario, which will serve as our second point, um, a joyful place of celebration that he dubs Zion. And that's going to stand ultimately for heaven. And the third point, we'll get to that paragraph, just is an argument to choose the latter instead of the former, to make the right decision. So let's isolate those verses, go back to the first scenario. And of course, these are, this is a description, really, um, taken from Exodus 19 and 20 and Deuteronomy 5 of the centerpiece of, of Judaism. Mosaic Judaism was born on Mount Sinai three weeks after they got busted out of the slave pits of Egypt Uh, The children of Israel were led through the wilderness and they came to Mount Sinai where the covenant, the first covenant, this is the the birth of the first testament, was born. And you know the story and you've seen the movie, (laughs) The Ten Commandments. It's the centerpiece of of Torah. Torah in Hebrew means instruction or the law. But you aren't a Jew without the Torah And so these verses are describing when the Torah came into being. So there's nothing more Jewish than that. And if you want to be a Jew, you got to kind of like that story, as scary as it is. But he says, in all fairness, let me go back to our own scriptures and relive that scene for you because it speaks of something that will help you not want to go backwards, but want to go forward. And, and, and so uh, let, let me show you, first of all, on a map where, where the actual Mount Sinai, pretty much everybody says, if you follow the Bible, uh, they came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea right about here, fing, bling down there, came down the side here, manna's happening, the water from the rock and all of that. And they get, three months later, they get to Mount Horeb or Sinai. They're used interchangeably, all right? And this is where they meet uh, their deliverer, face-to-face, almost. They hear his voice, certainly, and he is threatening to appear before them. They spend 11 months and five days in that place. And then they, 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 they go north. They're heading for the promised land. 
And then they had a little difficulty called 40 Years of Wandering. And that, ha- <laughs> that happened right about here. And then they got their act together. Well, not really. 40 years passed, and, and those under God's punishment died. And their children, really, uh, went, uh, they went up the side around, this is modern-day Jordan, Saudi Arabia. They came up the side, crossed over Jericho, and into the Promised Land. But that's the picture now. And you can go there. Uh, there's a shrine built uh, by a monastery um, there you can visit, and this is what they say. This seems to make perfect sense that the people were gathered at the base and Moses was climbing. Uh, that's the picture. And then, um, yeah, they built a little monastery. As uh, Mostly when you go to the Holy Land and anything in the Bible, you will find that Catholicism came along through the centuries and built a church or a cathedral or something there. It's kind of nice that marks it. It's a nice little marker there. Thank you for the pictures. Let me read to you, and we'll read together, what our writer is pulling from. So that description, the thunder, the clouds, the fire, the voice, uh, everything in the paragraph, he's taken from Exodus 19 and 20 and Deuteronomy 5. So I've made a montage. I cut, uh, cut and paste, and here's what he's pulling from. And the Lord said to Moses, this is right when it was happening, go to the people, get them ready for the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. That's his attention. We're going to have a meeting. Put limits for the people around the mountain. Tell them, be careful that you don't go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be surely put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. So if someone transgresses, you can't touch the one who touched the mountain. All right? So he's defiled. You shall not even touch him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Next. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder, lightning, thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain (laughs) carefully. (laughs) Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said, Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. (laughs) Last one. But now why should we die? This great fire will consume us. Remember, our God is a consuming fire in our text coming up. Uh, And we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord, our God, any longer. For what mortal man has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fires? We haven't survived. Go near and listen to all that the Lord, our God, says. Then tell us whatever the Lord, our God, tells you, and we will listen and obey. The answer to that is, of course you will. (laughs) Now, I've got some pictures for you of you know, the blazing fire, a mountain on fire, okay? So thick smoke. And, and in, in the passage, the word for smoke and darkness 
it is the same word that is used in Exodus when it says, uh, during the plagues, three days of darkness came. It was a darkness you could feel. So that it was more than just the black smoke and, and, and all of that. There was an anointing in the air of gloom. All right? And we're going somewhere with this because I already hear you. Well, why would? Yeah, I'm going to answer that. <laughs> Next one. Yeah, storm, thunder, lightning. All of these images are being expressed. Uh, the next one. You know, nothing says welcome like a mountain ablaze with fire. <laughs> so you can go back to the lightning strike. <laughs> now, they get there, these dearly loved people. God busted them out with a mighty arm, an outstretched arm. He said, I carried you like a mother eagle on my wings out of that place and I'm taking you to a promised land filled with milk and honey but why when we get a chance to meet the person who did all of this for us was this terrible scene awaiting them salvation 1a bad news first there's a big problem and it's not with me says the Lord so he's teaching them the holiness of God, and he's going to show them their sinfulness through the giving of the law. Paul the Apostle said, I wouldn't even know what coveting was until it said, thou shalt not covet. And as soon as I learned what coveting was, I couldn't wait to do it. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, yeah. so God has got a purpose to say, life is serious. You're not going to get to the good part of the story unless you accept the bad part of the story, personal responsibility. You can't just come running into my presence. Uh, let me give you the 10 words, it says in Hebrews, the 10 commandments. This, this is what I'm like in my nature. We tell the truth where I'm from. We don't commit adultery. We don't blaspheme. We, we don't worship idols. This is what I am like, and if two are going to walk together, they have to be in agreement. So, so there's a line here. You are children of Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve joined ranks with my enemy, the devil. He, they, they, tra they were traitors. I said, if you cross this line, you will surely die. And they did. And they died spiritually. And you are their children. You prove it every day that you sin against me. Now, we like to think of ourselves as pretty decent people. And how we come about doing that is comparing ourselves to serial killers and, and, and terrorists. So, so in comparison to serial killers and ISIS, hey, I'm a pretty good guy, but no. The Ten Commandments has to say, thou shalt not lie. Are you a lawbreaker? Are you a liar? So he has to thunder down with fire and saying, there is a separation eternally between me and you. And all of Judaism is about this, fixing the problem. But first, if you don't know there's a problem, you don't think you have a problem, you will never be in heaven. You have to come to that first 
in order to appreciate the good news, to make you want to. Galatians chapter 3 says, the reason the law came was not to try to make us good because the law can't make you good. It only makes you want to break it. The law came to reveal our sin and our guilt and our shame and to bring a little bit of lightning to our tail feathers so that we will seek a savior, to seek somebody who said, hey, I've taken care of your sin. I've bridged the gap. So in the very law that's coming to terrorize them, into that law is written a way to approach him through a blood sacrifice. So he starts telling them, don't give up hope. There's a way. There's a stopgap measure, a temporary fix from the barnyard animal. You bring in the lamb. You lay your hands on that lamb. I'm going to show you how to put the fire out and make the storm go away and have the sun come out, right? But not yet. Confess your sins onto this lamb or this goat. And the priest will slit its throat and take the blood of that person who died in your place and bring it to me and put it on the mercy seat in the, in the tabernacle or in the temple on, on the Ark of the Covenant on the top of that. What's in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is a box and it's got the Ten Commandments in it, which we've broken. The thunder, the lightning, the storm. And he says, put a drop of that blood, the person who stood in your place, and you can approach. So all of the fire, all of the gloom, all of this, he goes on to say things like, you know, uh, watch your step here because of the holiness uh, and, and uh, wanting, the Lord is wanting to, of course, fix this. They heard his voice. They didn't want to hear it. The voice was demanding without any filter of a redeemer. And it makes man know, listen, i got a problem. I'm a sinner. God is holy. I deserve death. He says, the soul that sins must die. Who's going to fix that problem? And Judaism, for all its wonder and beauty, is telling the story every time they offered an offering. God loves us. God provided a way. But it hasn't happened yet. And without that, the problem can't be fixed by the blood of bulls and goats. Come on. Barred yarn animal's not going to change anything. It doesn't change inside. But the new covenant that's coming, as promised in the law, is going to change our hearts. The Holy Spirit comes in and makes us alive. So the blood not only takes away our sins, but this new Messiah who lays down his life will come into our hearts and lives and change us and change us uh, forever. And so this is why it was necessary to have this terrible, scary uh, display for them, for them to be able to come to know him. So he's saying condemnation or celebration. Uh, do this or die or trust Jesus and live. Feeling like you never can measure up or having that pressure taken off of you because you have a savior who did what you could never do. Keeping your distance, having a no trespassing sign, or having the gates open and him saying, come on in, you're welcome here. It's your choice. It's your choice. So now he goes on to the second scenario, right? He's going to explain that. Verses 23 through 24. 
Well, first he said, hey, you haven't come to a mountain that could be touched, meaning the, the kingdom of God is not visible. It's not like a physical mountain. And then he goes on to describe it. But you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than that of Abel, Abel's blood. Okay, so here we go. In contrast to the giving of the law is the reception of the gospel that really puts us in good stead in heaven. Now, <clears throat> Mount Zion now is going to be named here, but it starts with three terms that are going to represent heaven. Zion was a hill in uh, where Jerusalem was established. So all it was was the name of a hill, Zion. Zion has come to be used as Jerusalem or all of Israel, right? So all Zion is is an ancient name for Jerusalem. And then it, it goes on to say uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, the thing about this, the new Jerusalem, <clears throat> Jerusalem had the temple, which had the ark. And the ark was made, Moses was told, see to it that you make the ark and the temple very carefully, according to the pattern I give you, because it's a replica of heaven in some way. So when you talk about Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem, you're talking, that, that means heaven, the new Jerusalem. And the new Jerusalem is talked about in the New Testament a lot, and it stands for, for heaven. And it's also called the city of the living God. Now, it's interesting to me, heaven is described as a city. And in Revelation chapter 21, you can read about that. It's this bejeweled city, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, and 1,400 miles high to be the epicenter. I'm sure heaven is a lot more vast than that. But the epicenter is this jeweled city, gates, the gates are described as made out of one pearl each. And, and you've got these fascinating things about the city. But heaven is, is, is described as a city. And, and at the end of Armageddon, when God is renewing things and, and the kingdom has come, that that city descends and is a part of the new heavens and the, and the new earth. And it's just, just fascinating. He says, this is where you're going. Okay, let's, let, let's see if we got it. Uh, a dry and barren, scary mountain in the middle of nowhere in the desert <laughs> or the city of the living God. So the living God means it's a city. People are doing things. There's order, rank, and vile. There, there's progress happening. It, it's a place where, where people's needs are being met. There's an agenda it's the living God, and it's his beautiful city, and it shines like gemstones. And, I mean, you're walking on translucent gold. This is the city that he's talking about, where we get uh, visions of it in other uh, scriptures. He's saying, you get to choose here. Uh, the mountain in the desert, or the mount, if you will, of heaven. 
Now, who's in this city? Well, of course, God the Father is there. And it seems like Jesus embodies God the Father, and so that the face that we see in heaven will be the Lord Jesus Christ, because in every way he is fully God, equal to God in every way. He told Philip, Philip said, show us the Father, and it'll be good. And he said, how long have I been with you? Still you don't know me? Whoever seen me has seen God. And so the lamb is there. The sacrifice for all of our sins is there, Jesus Christ. And um, there are angels, a gabillion of them, all right? Uh, the words there borderline on infinite, countless. And, and, and what are they doing? The word there means festival. So there's just this a party, okay? So do you want to go to the mountain where there's a lot of thunder and scary things? Or do you want to be in heaven in God's bejeweled city with a lot of joy, where there's a party going on? And what's so happy about, what's, what's so happy with them? Well, I'll tell you what's happy with them. The, the scriptures say that every time a sinner turns to the Lord, there's angels rejoicing in heaven. Now, when you get to heaven and you hear things like this, after I looked, I looked up and there before me a great multitude, John getting a vision of heaven, and a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne of God, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. They were wearing white robes and they were worshiping and praising him. Now, if they... If there's a big party in heaven for one person who gets saved, and then the countless throngs of saved humanity are there before the throne, this is the, the, the shaking. You want to talk about an earthquake. I mean, there's this shaking of joy and, and, and wonderment and awe and celebration that's going on in there, and he's contrasting it. They're happy They're singing happy songs, and we're going to join in with all of that. And why wouldn't they be happy? By the time you get to heaven, oh, things are already happening down here. I mean, evil is going down, and the Antichrist will be captured, the false prophet. God will, will be doing amazing things. Sin will be no more. When he appears to establish his kingdom, oh, the joy, the joy, never again sin evil. God himself wiping away everybody's tears. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more mourning, no more death. So he's saying, hey, you're, you're going to a place that's just absolutely joyful because the old order of things have passed away and behold, all things are new. And then he goes on to say, and um, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life up there. He says, that, that brings joy. Your name is written in the book. You know, there's this book Jesus talks about. Having your name when you turn to the Lord, it gets inscribed in this, this book you want to be in really badly. All right? I mean, this book, the, the Lamb's book of life, if your name's not in that, you end up perishing. But if your name's in there, and he says, your name is in there, there's a place for you in this place. Not wandering on some desert, wondering if I cross over the line, am I going to get zapped? 
You're, you pull up at the table, there's your name card because they were expecting you. You're supposed to be there. Your name is guaranteed in that book. You know what? The, uh, the disciples went out on a missions trip once for the Lord. They came back to him and he said, how did it go? And they said, can you believe that even demons are subject to us in your name? And he said, oh, don't let that bring great excitement to you. He said, you know what you should be rejoicing about? It's that your names are recorded in heaven. He's saying, the best thing about being saved is being saved. (laughs) (laughs) So then the focus turns to God in the text. Now, a beautiful coupling here. Uh, Here's what he's saying. You may be confused by it. He says, hey, you know, joyful, wouldn't you rather stand before God, the judge of the whole world, who knows your every thought and all your sins? At first, it's like, no, (laughs) not really. And he says, oh, there are two reasons why you don't have to worry. Well, well, first of all, uh, you you are a person or a soul who's been set right with God, you're being transformed, and when you see him, you will have been made perfect. So by the time you get to heaven and you show up, it's sort of a ta-da moment, you know, because he's been working at, at conforming you and changing you. But when you stand there, there's, there's going to be no fault or sin that he's going to find in that regard. You will be 100% perfected in such a way that it'll be hard to recognize you. You'll be you but you will be totally perfected with a body like his resurrected body. And to get a picture of that is Revelation chapter 1. Eyes flaming, his face like lightning. He said you're going to share in that kind of body. And so there's no need to be afraid. The judge is your father. He's, he, the, through, through the son, who, and he goes to that. He says, and Jesus, God the Son, is standing right there as your defense attorney. So true, you're standing there before the judge of all the earth, but you have a mediator who shed his blood for you. Also, a lot better deal than a lamb or a goat. It was the God-man who bled and died on your behalf for your sins. Your name was graven on his hands, as it says in Isaiah. He, he did it for you. You're standing there, and, and God the Son says to God the Father, puts his arm around you and says, she's one of ours. Church of the firstborn, the firstborn just means, firstborn, in, there are a couple ways to look at this. Firstborn in Hebrew culture means the heir to the family, the one who gets the double portion, the one who has preeminence to, to the rightful heir. And so what he's saying is, is in, in this world, all, all Christians are not preeminent. Most Christians have a backseat in this world. But he's talking about going to a place where all of us are royal heirs. It's the church of God's firstborn. And if you came into the family through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are considered a firstborn along with our elder brother, Jesus, who is the firstborn of all creation. And so he's just kind of painting the picture for them not to miss out. And he says, 
The blood of Jesus is there. You've got Jesus sticking up for you. Not that he will have to do that there, but the whole picture is you're safe in front of the judge who's your father. And about that blood, he says it speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let me remind you of that story. Cain and Abel, back in Genesis chapter 4, Cain is upset because God uh, wants an offering of blood, and he doesn't want to do that. And his brother does it and brings a lamb, but Cain says, hey, the, the, my own good work should be enough. And the Lord says, man, you do the right thing, and things will go well for you. He leaves that scene so mad and jealous of his brother Abel. That he says, hey, Abel, I've got a problem in the field. You want to come help me? And poor Abel goes, sure, bro. Walks out to the, to, to the middle of the field with this murderous brother. And Cain, and it says in the Hebrew, slaughtered him. Took one of his farming tools and slaughtered him. God says to Cain, where's your brother? And he says, how do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? And he says, what have you done? He said, your brother's blood cries out to me. It's speaking to me. Justice, vengeance, take care of this guy. I was innocently in cold blood murdered. The image of God. That blood was speaking to God Justice, Jesus' blood that was laid down by God as a judgment. His blood cries out, forgive them, forgive them. Why? Because somebody had to take the, the punishment of Cain. All the Old Testament sins are troublesome because they cry out for payment that's the trouble that's the reason for the gloom and the doom and the fire and the thunder is because everything is still unpaid for Cain's sin and all other sins 40 days pass from that scene and they're having a drunken party around a golden calf who they're worshiping for busting them out of Egypt 40 days that blood is crying out, who's paying for this? Who's paying for this? And Jesus says, I will. I'll pay for them. And he comes into the world for Cain, and he becomes Cain. He becomes those revelers. He takes their sin upon his shoulders. He's them. And he says to the Father, judge me. Cain, judge me, Ross. Judge me, fill in the blank. Here I am, and all my sins, judge me. And he stretches out his hands, and he's judged. That's why it's okay for you to come and stand before the judge, because someone else was you at the execution place. And you and all your sins were fully paid for. What did Jesus say? The last words on the cross, almost. It is finished. He paid for it. 
Now there's a, a little paragraph that says, this is a good deal, I think you should take it. <laughs> see to it, <laughs> see to it now, I've given you the two options. See to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. If they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, okay? The mountain shook. When the law came, there was an earthquake. But now, he's promised, once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things. Are you tracking here? (laughs) So that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So he's bringing in the closing deal now, and he's saying, let me help you decide to make your choice to be heaven. So he's saying, look, they didn't get away with anything under the Old Testament, and they didn't even have the full revelation, right? And so when they partied around the golden calf, they paid dearly for that, right? So now he's saying, now we've got a new covenant, We've got a God who 1,400 years later appeared, lived, died on the cross for our sins, crucified, dead, and buried, rose again, sent the Holy Spirit. Who's going to escape now? You're more accountable now, Hebrews, than they were in the darkness of the Old Testament. And look what he's saying in your text. He's saying, How will you escape the warning from heaven? What's the warning? Here it comes. The warning is the end of the world. He's saying, back when the law came, the mountain shook. He goes, oh, but I'm going to do more. God speaking through Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6. That's this line. Once more, I'm going to shake not only the earth, but the solar system, the cosmos. Revelation, chapter 6 to 18, the great tribulation. The solar system's affected. The earth is on fire. Oh, it's not just a mountain in, near Saudi Arabia that's on fire. The earth. He's saying, let's just go from the Old Testament promises and warnings to the New Testament promises and warnings. And that's talking about something called Armageddon and the Great Tribulation. Jesus himself saying, for then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. He's saying, listen, you're in this invisible kingdom called the kingdom of God, and it can't be shaken, but this world's going to be turned upside down. There are 21 judgments in the great tribulation. There are seven sealed judgments. One of those judgments, a quarter of the population perishes, just one. And then there are seven trumpet judgments, trumpet five, six, and seven, are called the three great woes. 
But wait, there's more. There's seven on top of that called the great bulls, and you have angelic, monstrous angels pouring out bowls of God's wrath. One, two. This is after 14 judgments that wiped most of the world away. Seven of those. That's what he's talking about. He's saying the things that can be seen will be removed. 2 Peter chapter 3 says the earth and everything in it and the solar system will roll up like fire, like a scroll. This is New Testament, 2 Peter 3. Read it. This is the warning. So he's saying he's warning from heaven the gospel. And if you need a little push, a little fear of the Lord, just know that he said, you think the mountain quaking back with Moses was a big deal? He's saying, I'm not only going to shake that mountain, but the mountains in the tribulation disappear. Did you know that? The mountains are removed. Islands are covered over. The earth, the shape of the earth changes. The sun, moon, and stars are different. Because of God's enhanced help to a world that's rejected him. The best news of all, of course, is that we are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we are not appointed to wrath. Speaking to the church at large through the seven churches, which everyone agrees, it's a word to the church. Revelation 3, verse 10. I will spare you from the wrath that is coming. The great testing upon all of the earth. I will spare you. And that's in keeping with, with many other scriptures that say the Lord will come for his people and then all hell breaks loose. And that which remains, the removing of that which can be shaken, that is the created things, the removing of things that you see, it's gonna be removed but we are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So therefore, he says, how thankful are you? Do you even have problems? He's saying, you've got to be thankful, worshiping God, uh, acceptably, uh, the way God wants you to worship him, with reverence and awe, because we know God is a consuming fire. And he's quoting Deuteronomy from that scene again. So he's saying, hey, you know God's nature. You've seen him in action. He's your friend now, but some shakings come into your world. And brothers and sisters, you're watching that get all set up with the very things we've already talked about and we'll be fasting about. Those are biblical, prophetic things that says this world is getting in shape for God to do some shaking. But he says, don't worry. Buckle your seatbelts, people. And don't refuse the warning. Let me close with a personal story about what happened this week. A happy thing happened to us. Uh, I'm thinking about it because uh, not a call not to refuse God's voice. Somebody close to me heard that voice and decided to accept Christ. Let me tell you the story. By 1979, most of my family were saved. Um, you know the story. My Jewish father got saved. We thought he was crazy. All four kids were in high school at the time. So my sister, 18, she got saved with my dad, sort of. 
And then my brother and I, I was in the bar. I heard a vision. I had a vision of the Lord. And then we became born-again Christians. We went busting into that hotel where my parents managed it. My dad was already saved, but my mom saw me and my brother Darian come running in, and that was enough for her. So she got saved, right? And so the only one left was my 13-year-old brother, and he was there. And he knelt in the family prayer, and we went and got baptized all as a family, and he was with us, but he never got saved. And he took a very different path. And our whole lives, he's been estranged from the entire family. 36 years. On his birthday, I'll text him or something like that. So last week, I started getting texts. Hey, I'm in trouble. I'm in the hospital. They don't know what's wrong with me. They can't control my, my blood sugar. It's spiking all over the place. I could die. And I, it sounds like you should call on the name of the Lord. <laughs> and so no, nothing happened there. You know, then I got a text that said, you know, I stopped by the, the chapel in the hospital, but no, nothing. He didn't say anything about that. And I was like, yeah, awesome. And, and, and so on Friday, the day all the news was happening, we were in L.A. We were at a Mexican food restaurant. It was so loud. The, the music was playing, you know, and... We were having a good time, and I started getting those texts and saying, oh, I'm such a sinner. I hear the Lord's voice. He's saying, come to me, and it kept repeating it. Come to me, come to me. Jesus is calling me. Come to me, come to me, come to me. What should I do? I'm like, <laughs> come to him. <laughs> he said, Jesus is calling, Jesus is calling. I'm like, pick up the phone. <laughs> So he says, I'm afraid, I'm afraid he's talking to me. This is la, 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 bamba, la, la, la. Yeah, you know, do you want extra cheese on that? I'm like a dude on my brother, and you know. So uh, I, he said, can you lead me? Texting, can you lead me? I'm like, yes, I can lead you, of course. So I go and lock myself in this little bathroom. You know, you know with the tiny locks, you know, you're like, hope nobody's going to bust through here. The fan's running loud. This is not really cleaned up in there. And I, I'm in there, and the music is coming through, and I can't hear him. And I'm like, okay, Joe, you ready? And I hear nothing. I go, okay, dear Heavenly Father, la, 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 la. <laughs> and someone's trying to get into the bathroom. And then I said, Judd, are you talking? And he goes, I'm too scared. I'm a sinner. I go, Jeff, we're going to fix this. It'll all be better. I'm so dirty. My whole life, I've wasted my whole life. Watching you guys, the whole thing's coming out. You know, and the door's going like this. <laughs> Leave us alone. <laughs> so I, I led him the next day the most beautiful Bible texts, the most beautiful questions. The, he, I said, go to a Calvary Chapel, you'll be safe. And, and, and he went to a Calvary Chapel in a suit and tie. I saw a picture of him and it said Calvary Chapel and he's got a suit and tie on. And then I got a text that says, I was a little overdressed. <laughs> he spent an hour with the pastor and 
every single morning, I'm having my devotions. What does gospel mean? You know, I'm having my devotions. Oh, about all these questions and how he's repented to everybody. And he's a believer. He's a believer. Praise God. 36 years. I'm just going to throw this out since you're all here. Listen, God took that on a day, on that Friday. That day was a little bit of a personal to us, you know, and God said, oh, no. That day will be associated with life and what possibilities and what I can do to bring new life. And now that's a very beautiful day in my memory. Now, all that to say, see to it that you do not refuse the voice that warns from heaven because you got, you know, a slap in the face or a hug, you know, burning fire or a joyful celebration, <laughs> a desert dry and barren with nothing or kicking back with God the Father and Jesus Christ and the angels singing and you honor honored, an honored citizen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you can do all things. And for all of our Judds out there, Lord, we lift them to you one more time. 36 years and counting, or 50 years and counting, or 36 days and counting. Lord, we pray, we seek you. We believe that all things are possible. We thank you for your great patience, your love, and your mercy. Now as we look to the event, the, the thing that you did to make it possible for, for us to go from a quaking mountain of fear and condemnation to the Mount of Heaven, <laughs> beloved and welcomed and with, with great joy and eternal life, the cross of, of Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.